stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, April 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Meridian officials avoid a lawsuit over jailing low-income residents who can't afford fines. Then, learn what advocates say it will take to close the pay gap between men and women. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, find out how to join a group of volunteers working to preserve Mississippi's battlefield parks. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. City Council is agreeing to stop arresting and jailing poor people with unpaid fines. The City Council approved the consent decree yesterday. The MacArthur Justice Center and the Southern Poverty Law Center sought the agreement after investigating court procedures in the East Mississippi City. Cliff Johnson is director of the MacArthur Justice Center at the University of Mississippi School of Law. He tells us about the practice of jailing people for unpaid fines. Meridian had a policy of issuing arrest warrants for people who had unpaid fines and fees uh, and or had failed to appear in court, then incarcerating them after bringing them in on those warrants. We had seen this type of policy in other municipalities around Mississippi that really focused on collection efforts by municipalities, and this, this began our longer-term investigation of the city. If someone owes a fine or a penalty to the city, why is it unfair to jail that person if they don't pay the fine? It's a very good question, and a lot of people get frustrated you know, by the notion that somehow perhaps poor people don't have to comply with the law or pay their fines and fees. And what the law focuses on is the question of willfulness. So if you have, you make $100,000 a year and you owe $500, it's very likely that the court would find that you have the ability to pay, and your failure to pay is a willful violation of a court's order. However, if you're on Social Security disability, your income is only $762 a month, you owe $3,000 to a court, the court says you need to pay $150 a month or half of it up front, and you can't make that payment, the Supreme Court and longstanding law says that you have to look at the ability to pay before you can incarcerate anyone. And then um, if, if the person doesn't have the ability to make the payments that are required, you can't incarcerate them because the conduct, conduct wasn't willful. It was a function of poverty. And of course, you know, we've outlawed debtors' prisons more than 150 years ago in the United States, and, and these practices are tantamount to debtors' prisons. You go to jail because you're poor. And you simply can't incarcerate people because of their poverty. Does the city have recourse? Can they, can they get a payment plan where you pay us $25 a month or whatever they think a person could afford? That's exactly what they should do. So, so what we're encouraging and requiring in, in these settlements and, and in these cooperation agreements is that cities look carefully at people's ability to pay and then set them a payment plan that they can make. Talk to them about, look, I'm going to work with you. We're going to make this possible give me $25 a month. If something happens where you can't make the payment, don't disappear on us. 
show back up, explain to us that there was a death in the family or that you lost a job or that there were unusual health care expenses, and we're going to work with you. And, and one of the things that we always make clear in talking about this is poor folks have to pay fines and fees just like everybody else. What we insist upon and what the law demands is that they just be able to do it in a manner that's realistic and doesn't punish them for poverty. But absolutely. And, you know, if if there is a a situation where, you know, someone promises to make payments and they consistently fail to make their $25 a month payments, then there can be ramifications of that for those individuals. Is community service an option if they really can't afford to pay anything? It is. And and, and as part of our agreements, we also make sure that cities are are implementing um, fulsome community service programs where people can work, you know, at, at the, you know, at least the federal minimum wage in order to satisfy their fines and fees. And so and so we also, you know, implement this system where, where you get the option. If you owe the city $500 and you want to pay $25 a month, you can do that. And if you simply can't do that, you uh, can, can work it off in the community service program. Or if you start out thinking you can make $25 a month and it turns out you just can't, then you can switch. You can come back to the court and say, you know, I'm having a difficult time, um, but I can, you know, I can help clean up in the circuit court building or stuff envelopes for you know to mail out to people who have jury duty and that sort of thing. What exactly so, will Meridian do per this agreement? Well, first and foremost, they're going to rescind thousands and thousands of warrants that exist now. They're going to consider um, abilities to pay um, at the time of imposing fines. They're going to put people who are being sentenced um uh, in the future, we're going to put them on the type of payment plans that you and I just discussed. For people who are on existing payment plans that they can't make, they're going to invite them back into court and um, reevaluate all existing payment plans to make sure that people are paying at a level that's that's realistic. They're going to end the use of requiring money bail in municipal court in virtually all cases. So, you know, this notion that for some minor offense, you should have to buy your way out of jail is problematic and inconsistent with the rule and the law that says you can, you know, the presumption is release and you only impose money bail if someone's a danger to the community or a flight risk, which is seldom the case in a misdemeanor context. They're going to radically change their bail practices. So, so I think in some, what they're going to do is consider abilities to pay in all aspects of the municipal court system there. Cliff Johnson is the director of the MacArthur Justice Center at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Thank you very much. Thank you. In a statement, Meridian Mayor Percy Bland says the city will continue to enforce the law and collect unpaid fines, but will do so in accordance with the agreement. Coming up, learn what advocates say it will take to close the pay gap between men and women. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you buy a car nowadays, luckily, one of the options isn't optional anymore, air conditioning. But what if your snowflake button only gives you hot air? Can you fix it yourself? Can you buy anything to fix it yourself? Who can fix your A.C.? Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, has some answers for your questions. Tomorrow at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio or on the Internet at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Mississippi women are joining other women across the country to raise awareness about the gender wage gap. Advocates call it Equal Pay Day. The idea is that if the average American man and the average American woman start working full-time on January 1st of 2018, the woman would have to work until yesterday to earn the amount of money the man earned just within 2018. Mississippi has the highest wage gap in the country, says Cassandra Welchlin. She's co-founder of the Mississippi Women's Economic Security Initiative. She talks with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. So Equal Pay Day is the point in the year when the average woman's pay catches uh, up to what the average male made in 2018. And so she has to work four months into the year in order to make what a male has made, and usually it's a white, non-Hispanic man, um, has made in the year. Um, What we know is that um, women's wages... um, there's in Mississippi particularly that we have the highest wage gap in the country, and that has to do with um, race discrimination and gender discrimination. And it doesn't matter what her occupation is. Um, it doesn't matter what her education level is. Um, her wages are um, discriminated against, and she makes less than what a male makes. How much do women make in comparison to men? And is this women full-time in comparison to men full-time? So when comparing all men and women who work full-time year-round in Mississippi, women are made 75 cents for every dollar paid to the male counterpart. Nationally, that's 80 cents. Uh, But the wage experience uh, by women of color in Mississippi is even larger, Uh, particularly for black women. We make uh, 56 cents for every dollar paid to a white non-Hispanic man. Um, for Latina and Native uh, women, they make 60, cent, 60 cents and 55 cents um, on the dollar. And for Asian women, they make 66 cents on the dollar. And so you can see, again, um, the disparaging wages um, that exist there, you know, between women of color. Um And regardless, again, of what the race is, all of us are not getting paid what we should be getting paid. And we know that, um, again, um, wages persist across occupations and education levels. But they also, what we know is, you know, around bias and stereotypes. Um, Women's work isn't valued um, like a male's work is, Uh, particularly when we talk about women who are mothers. uh, We also get discriminated against. We've heard stories after stories of women being discriminated against just because they're pregnant or that they are moms. Say there's a, a woman who's a lawyer and a man who's a lawyer. Are there significant wage gaps there in comparison to maybe other occupations where if you're in um, if you're in the military, what does that look like across occupations? So what we um, some of the research that we have done, again, is that occupation segregation plays a real um, a huge role in Mississippi's um, large gender wage gap. Black women make up 37 percent of Mississippi's low wage workforce despite only being 19% of the state's total 
workforce. But when we're talking about occupations, what we found out is that black women in Mississippi are clustered in Mississippi's healthcare and social assistance industries and accommodations and food services industries. Within the healthcare system, black women who are personal care aides, they're low wage workers and they're making like 67 cents, you know, for every dollar. What we found is that even women, and in the healthcare field, it is a little bit closer as far as in wages, but women are still making still less than men make in that field. And so, again, it just doesn't matter what that occupation is. Uh, women are still making less. Yes, as attorneys, you know, in those higher occupations, you know, you may find that the gap isn't as large, but there's still a wage gap that's there. And when you take the total of women working across, you know, different occupations, the gap is still, it still exists and it's still very wide there. Can you go a little bit into detail about how the wage gap affects women in specifically in this state? Women are not able to just make ends meet. Uh, we have seen it over and over and over again. We've heard stories of women just not able to, um, you know, again, put groceries on the table or put money away, you know, for retirement. And so what that looks like is that the local economies aren't growing the way they need to because, and women, we spend, I mean, we spend money just to take care of our families or just retail therapy. I mean, we spend money. However, uh, when we are not getting those wages, then we're not able to contribute to the economy. And so that means that Mississippi you know, is suffering. What can be done to close that might help close the wage gap? Um, right now, uh, we've partnered with several coalitions and organizations to um, help get past the Paycheck Fairness Act. Um, what that act will specifically do is to give more, w- will help strengthen the Equal Pay Act. Um, and for, if a Um, a woman wants to bring a case against an employer, um, and particularly she goes through the EEOC, Um, the EEOC has a little bit more legs to stand on or a little bit more tools to fight with to make sure that her wages are recovered. And so we we want that Paycheck Fairness Act to get passed. It passed the House, and so now it's going over to the Senate, and we are working with our... um, our delegation at the federal level, um, at the national level, to ensure that our legislators, our Congress folks know that that's important to us. Cassandra Welchland, you are with the Mississippi Women's Economic Security Initiative and Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable. Thank you so much for talking to me about equal pay. I appreciate it. Thank you for covering this story and lifting up the importance of women and our wages and uh, working towards getting the wage gap closed. And we hope other women will join our efforts. Coming up, find out how to join a group of volunteers working to preserve Mississippi's battlefield parks. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Jeremy Hobson. President Trump threatens to close the border with Mexico, to cut off aid to Central American countries, and to repeal Obamacare and replace it with a plan to be determined. And that was just this week. Our political strategists weigh in on that and more next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio.
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Ball pits. You ever taken your kid to a ball pit or you seen those at different places? No, it has all the different little plastic balls. A lot of fun, like quicksand, but bigger particles. Uh, and kids love it. So the question comes up, you know, how sanitary are those things? And I, no surprise, they're not. Uh, lots of things grow on solid surfaces, and those little plastic balls can have all kinds of things. Kids sometimes sneeze, cough, uh, put their hands all over themselves and, and on all that stuff. Uh, and it's interesting, the last time I was at a place like that, I noticed that they did have the little alcohol dispensers right by it. And also they're starting to use these in pediatric uh, physical therapy. So they're not the, as deep, but it can help kids sort of regain a lot of their function. And uh, it's wonderful. It's sort of like sand therapy. So if you walk or stand in sand, when I had a complex ankle injury, my physical therapist said, you know, I, I would love to do this in sand because it's one of the best things to really work on your balance. However, back to ball pits, that it may not be the most sanitary thing. And if your child or if even if you're adult around those, you know, if your immune system's down for whatever reason, uh, you might want to wash your hands before uh, and after you get in there, particularly afterwards. Uh, so not a big surprise. The whole world is covered in a thin patina of bacteria. So uh, you can't get away from it, uh, but you can try to cut down on it. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. Hi, this is Bill Ellison, host of Grassroots on MPB. Few artists have had greater influence on American folk and acoustic music than guitarist Doc Watson. Doc was part of the 1960s folk revival. He was also a star of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band's early 70s classic Will the Circle Be Unbroken album. And he's in the Bluegrass Music Hall of Fame. Doc is also a frequent guest in the Bluegrass Cabin, so come see us on Grassroots Saturday night at 8 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Volunteers throughout Mississippi are teaming up with the American Battlefield Trust to clean up, revitalize, and restore six battlefields and historic sites across the state. This cleanup effort is part of Park Day. It's an annual nationwide hands-on preservation event. Nicole Ryan joins us from the American Battlefield Trust. She talks about their work and how Mississippians can get involved. Battlefield preservation falls across a broad spectrum of individuals that uh, are responsible for it. Uh, oftentimes, uh, if the park is under the National um, Park Service, and it'll fall under NPS. Sometimes there's local control. It really just depends on the individual battlefields and the individual parks. Um, what's really interesting about battlefields is, you know, a lot of these sites, and we see it not just in Mississippi, but throughout the nation, a lot of these sites really depend on volunteer work to, uh, you know, take care of critical maintenance issues as well as uh, backlogged maintenance issues. Uh, a lot of times there's staffing issues as well as budgetary uh, constraints. So it, it's critical to get these volunteers out to help. Um, and PS, the local park uh, authorities and in private groups help take care of these sites so visitors can enjoy them throughout the year. How does the Battlefield Trust come into this? So the American Battlefield Trust 
Frust is the national nonprofit um, that helps preserve America's hallowed grounds uh, throughout Mississippi and throughout the nation. Uh, what we do specifically for Park Day is we, we bring a national voice um, to the event and help coordinate with uh, the local parks and uh, the National Park Service these individual events um, throughout the nation and throughout individual states. Uh, so we really act as a clearinghouse and help get the word out about these events and also provide some um, organizational and some uh, administrative support. We also provide t-shirts um, to all participants as you know, a thank you for coming out uh, and volunteering your time. And we, we really help these, these localities um, get these events up and running. Give us an idea of what volunteers will do on Park Day. The volunteers uh, have a, a range of tasks um, that they can assist with. Uh, it depends on each individual state's needs. Uh, you know, the individual parks have a lot of oversight and a lot of say as to how they utilize their volunteers. And activities can range from everything um, from painting to fence building to leaf raking to some just general maintenance and, uh, you know, trail clearing. It really depends on what individual parks and individual sites need at that time of the year. What is the importance to preserve American battlefields? Have we lost any battlefields because they've fallen into disrepair? You know, we are uh, racing the clock to preserve these these battlefields um, from America's defining uh, conflicts ranging from the Revolutionary War to the War of 1812 to the Civil War. Uh, these, these battlefields are so important to preserve because we want people to have the chance to go out and visit. Uh, we see battlefields as an outdoor classroom where um, young adults, old, um, older populations, any, anybody can go out and learn about the sacrifices made during our nation's conflicts. Uh, you know, a lot of these places are where crucial chapters of our national story were written, and it's important that ordinary citizens can, can go out and, and recognize the sacrifice and the valor, um, you know, of, of citizen soldiers from decades past. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we, we are in a constant race and a battle against time. A lot of these sites do face the threat of um, disrepair, the threat of, uh, you know, uh, expansion and, and being lost to, to building. Um, so it's important that we make sure that the treasures that we have saved are at their absolute best and available for, for public use. And we're also, you know, constantly racing to, to preserve the, those sites. There's so many of them throughout our country that are still endangered. What should people do if they want to participate in Park Day? Do they just show up? Is there a place for them to register? Yes. If they would like to participate, there are six different sites throughout Mississippi uh, that will be hosting Park Day events. And they can go ahead and and um, show right up to those events um, at, the, at those sites. And uh, just, just bring your gloves and be ready to work. For a full listing of the six events throughout Mississippi, um, anybody who would like to volunteer on Saturday, April 6th, is more than welcome to visit battlefields.org slash parkday. And you can find a full listing of all of the participating sites, as well as contact information for the individual coordinators that will be on site and can give some more direction as to where people should go, what they should expect, and what they should bring. Nicole Ryan is the Communications Manager for American Battlefield Trust. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. 
Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. Or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting for more information.